0: Do you know that we are on the very last week of our series called Sun-Ripened Fruit? In fact, we are in the extended week of the series because I made the decision last week to extend it one week to make sure we had plenty of time to, uh, to explore each of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Sun-Ripened Fruit. And we are currently talking about two remaining fruit, but we always, as we have done in this series, uh, look at our primary Scripture text. And uh, why don't you just read it with me one more time, starting in verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. We have two remaining fruit they're highlighted there for you. Today we're going to talk about self-control and faith. All right, self-control and faith. I think we've all understood, and have hopefully, if you've been at any uh, any of the series, you've learned that the fruit of the Spirit are simply divinely produced traits, characteristics that God wants to develop in all of us. And uh, you know, um, I think sometimes when people taste our lives, we need to be concerned about what they what we taste like. Do you know what I'm saying? And sometimes they uh, They take a big chunk out of our life by observation or interaction, and it's not the kind of fruit that we want people to have, right? So we all need to be concerned about developing the fruit of the Spirit. First, I'm going to begin uh, on self-control, and then we'll go to the final fruit of faith. The fruit of self-control. Wow, Uh, I feel convicted just stating it. How about you, huh? John Maxwell said this, The first victory that successful people ever achieve or win is the victory over themselves. Self-control. What is self-control? The King James Version actually uses the word temperance. I don't think that's a great word for us to use today. Temperance. The New International Version and other more current translations use the term self-control because that's exactly what the word ekratia means. It means exerting power over self. There's a a root word, which maybe uh, you can see it in that um, English uh, transliteration of the Greek there, but there's a word kratos in the Greek language, which actually means to get a grip on, or to get a hold of. And that is a root word that this word for self-control Comes from. What does self control really mean? It means the mastery of self. It means to come to the place where you have mastered temptations. It was used in the classical Greek use to describe an athlete that had come to a point of having total discipline over their physical body. I don't know about you, but I am um, amazed. Uh, because I could never even come close to uh, it's in my dreams. Only when I watch when I watch athletes go and dunk a basketball, and uh, and some athletes my height uh, will can actually go and dunk a basketball with such authority. And I watch them. I go, how do they do that? You know, how do they do that? And uh, so I just know I can't do it. I'm not sure how they do it. But one thing I do know is that they have come to a point of exercising amazing discipline over their physical body. Yes, it's by giftedness, and there's obviously some skill training involved, but they've come to the point of being able to somehow discipline and control their body to do feats like that. How many of you would agree with me? That's pretty amazing. Now, I know, Jezreel, you could probably dunk one still. But anyway, most of us here probably wouldn't try to dunk a basketball. But this characteristic is a characteristic of Christ's followers that seems to focus instead of on relationships, which some of the fruit we've talked about has to do with circumstances, relationships. This one has purely to do with me. Something on the inside of you. This is something when you exercise self-control, you're really the only one in the house. And Sometimes, maybe even in those hidden private moments when no one else is looking is when we are best able to know how much self-control we really have. To be self-controlled is not to live into bondage, not live in bondage to any desire. Anything that is an appetite of the flesh, it includes discipline in your body. It includes discipline and self-control over behavior, over words. My body should be a good servant, and it is a good servant when we discipline it, but it is also a miserable master. Have you found that out? That our body can be a miserable master. While self-control is a really, really good translation, I think, of this particular word, it is sometimes a bit deceiving because we know this. We can't, any of us, really control ourselves to this degree. So we have to understand that when we speak about the idea of self-control, it has to do with the fact that it is only through the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is spiritual fruit. It's only through the power of the Spirit that we're able to develop that kind of discipline and self-control. There's a couple of scriptures that are, I think just hit this really hard. And uh, these are great scriptures. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, I don't know if we can relate to this, this much today, but in these days, Bible days, ancient days, a city's strength was determined by her walls by her fortifications. And a city's ability to be successful and sustainable was totally tied to what kind of walls and safeguarding that she had around her. And so with that in mind, look at this scripture. Like a city, if you lack self-control, let me reframe it. If we lack the fruit of self-control, we are like a city whose walls have come down who walls have a hole in them. There's an interesting scripture in the Song of Solomon says, the foxes sneak in through the holes in the wall. A lot of times we have foxes in our lives that steal and rob from our vineyards because we have allowed a hole in the wall, because the wall has come down in some area of our life. In other words, we have not exerted the kind of self-control that we should. And let me tell you, you show me someone whose life is a wreck, and I'll show you someone who doesn't have much self-control. The lack of self-control, remember, generated by the Holy Spirit, is someone who's usually headed for trouble. Their lives are marked by excess, extremes, always going beyond the healthy boundaries that we all should pay attention to. This is amazing. This is one of my favorite scriptures in Titus. Titus chapter 2. Look here, these two verses. For the grace of God has appeared. Aren't y'all glad the grace of God has appeared? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I love this verse. It has offered salvation to all people. It teaches us. By the way, quick pause. The word there in the original language for teach is the word gymnaso in the Greek, which we get the word gymnasium from. So literally it means discipline. Discipline as if you're an athlete in a gym. Okay? So listen to this. The grace, what, what disciplines us? The grace. The grace of God, if you allow it to, will discipline you to do what? To say no. Can everybody just say no? Y'all remember that phrase, just say no? It was kind of I know that dates me, but anyway, just say no. Listen, in your own power and strength, you can't just say no to everything you need to say no to. But a person who is controlled by the Holy Spirit exhibits the ability to say no. No to what? Disciplines us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live, this is the word right here, ekrates, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How many of you know in this present age and culture it's hard sometimes to say no to the stuff we ought to say no to? Anybody who's alive and breathing and honest will admit to that. So, wonderful scriptures that we can use to understand self-control. I come from a part of Texas that um, uh, originally one of the things that that part of the state likes to boast about was being the home about probably about 40 miles, 50 miles from my hometown uh, was the home and the birthplace of Lyndon B. Johnson, former U.S. president. So around those parts, everybody was very, very proud when LBJ was president. And uh, during his term as president, uh, Lyndon Johnson at a certain time was said to have been a little bit porky, a little bit overweight. And one day, uh, LBJ's wife, as only Lady Bird could do, challenged him with this blunt assertion. She said, Lyndon, you can't run the country if you can't run yourself. Out of respect and recognizing the truth of her words, LBJ listened to her wise observation and promptly lose lost 23 pounds. Can't control yourself. How do you think you're going to run the country? I would ask us this question this morning. If we can't control ourselves, how are we going to run a family? How are we going to live for Jesus in a lost and dying world? If we can't control ourselves, self-control is truly an important fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me just give you very quickly, and, and for the sake of time, um, I'm not going to read all these scriptures, but I, I, I just thought it would be helpful to give you a little inventory. This is a self-control inventory from the book of Proverbs. All right. You may be amazed but the book of Proverbs says a whole lot about what happens to people who live without self-control and those what you look like if you do exercise self-control. And I've just broken it up into categories. For example, it talks about uncontrolled lust. Proverbs 6:26. We know that today there are plenty of examples of people who don't have control over that want, that need, that lustful passion in them. Also uncontrolled, Proverbs 21.20 spoke about uncontrolled spending. said, so wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about self-control today. What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing wandering over into this area? No, you see, self-control, if we truly have self-control, it provides control over all different areas of life. Uncontrolled spending. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are the stores of choice, food, and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. A foolish man doesn't have the wisdom or the boundaries or the control to save money. Speaks also of uncontrolled ambitions. Uncontrolled ambitions. Proverbs 23.4 says, Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. It's talking about this drive that many people have. I've got to get this and get this, and and I've got to get to this position and get this promotion. Show restraint. That's the result of this fruit. It also speaks about uncontrolled eating. Repeatedly throughout Proverbs, and I I did because I didn't want you to feel really bad today. I didn't list them all here for you. But repeatedly Proverbs gives us the wisdom about uncontrolled eating and drinking. Basically, the message is, are you controlling yourself? Do you have control? Now, you and I have both heard people say, I can't handle Uncontrollable eating, drinking is sinful. And the fruit that God wants to get, develop is what? Self-control. If we have self-control, then that will show up in Every different area like we're speaking about. Uncontrolled this, uncontrolled that. One more, uncontrollable anger. Uncontrolled anger. Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Do you know how important it is to keep anger, emotion in check? We've all had times where something's got out of control. And I think I don't need to tell you that the result is usually damage in one way or the other. Without digressing too much, I'll just tell you I have a very close friend who was a pastor, a successful pastor of a growing church. And um, he was on the, he had, let's just say it this way, he had violated a number of boundaries in his personal life. And the result was he didn't have, um, uh, the fruit of self-control in great uh, amount at that time. He was driving in his car from one city to the next. One of his associate pastors was in the car with him. And, I mean, he had been running on, you know, up to here, on overload for months and months and months. And we talked about it, actually. He said, oh, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. And in that car that day, the associate said something that just lit his fuse the wrong way. He pulled his car over and he hit him with his fist. He hit him. I mean, it didn't wound him, but he hit him out of uncontrollable emotion. And then after he did it, he just broke down and started crying. The senior pastor did because he realized, and if y'all ever done that, it's like something... You show some burst of uncontrollable emotion, and then you go, oh, man, what am I doing? And he's just started apologizing. you got to forgive me, man. I'm so, so sorry. I, I, I just don't know what to do. The associate said, oh, don't worry about it. It's all right, Pastor. We all have our weak moments. You know, don't worry about it. He says, no. He said, I, I, need, to let, I need to let our elders know, because I'm accountable to them. They, they need to know this. You're one of my staff pastors. Oh, Look, Pastor, I promise I'll never tell anybody. Senior pastor went home. He did call some of his leaders and confessed to them what he had done. Within 48 hours, the associate pastor had filed a lawsuit, called the newspaper, and it hit the front pages of the paper within three days. The devastating result of that one uncontrollable outburst was a church that was in the thousands that was split multiple times it literally pushed and ruined the ministry of a good gifted man of God it pushed him out and he actually went into a seven year emotional tailspin because of it i'm glad to say now he's he's permanently out of those kinds of ministry roles, but he's walking with God again. But my point is, look at the devastation. From, from one incident, do you realize it doesn't take much these days? That happened 15 years ago. Can you imagine today, with social media being what it is? Let me just tell you, a city... When your walls are broken down, you're vulnerable. It's not a pretty picture. We all need to take a self-control inventory. May I just give you some suggestions very quickly before we go to faith, and that'll be a whole lot more enjoyable to talk about. The first thing in developing self-control is you have to remember this all goes back to yielding, just like all the fruit, yielding to the work of the Spirit in your life. Not to your flesh, not to the old nature, All that stuff, but yielding to the right influence. Secondly, I want to give you four quick starters. I just call them starters for developing self-control. Number one, start right. Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist of earlier century, was asked one day, he said, of all the people you've come in contact with, Dr. Moody, who gives you the most trouble? They were thinking he was going to list one of his enemies. He said, to be honest with you, he said, D. L. Moody, Myself. I have the most trouble with myself. You have to choose daily to acknowledge where the problem is. Start right, and where you start is with yourself. Number two is start early. Self-discipline is usually something that begins early in life. It's never too late. To start working on it, letting the Spirit develop this fruit. But I'll tell you what, it would work a whole lot better if the way we would raise our children would be to help them to learn some self-control. Parents, grandparents. Earlier the better. I consider self-control and self-discipline to be one of the most important parts of a person's character. It'll either give them success and help them reach their potential or could, if not their... Destroy their lives. So I would encourage you, start early. Number three, start small. Did you know that what you're going to be tomorrow, you are becoming today? I'll say it again. What you are going to be tomorrow, you are becoming today. It is essential to begin developing self-control in a small way today. If you look at the big pictures, oh, I don't know if I could ever be fully self-controlled. Oh, God, I just don't know how I can do this. Just start small. Sometimes we want to, you know, in the old illustration of the old joke about how to eat an elephant, just one bite at a time. One small bite at a time. How do you tackle the big issues of life? <clears throat> start small. Set reachable, small, tangible, reachable Goals. How do you become a spiritual giant? Just one day at a time. Start out by praying. Uh, you, you know, don't, don't, don't start out by saying, I've got to pray two hours a day. Just start off with two minutes a day if you're not praying regularly. Just start out, start somewhere. Start small. How do you build a great marriage? It's not by just expecting some huge breakthrough one day that's just going to happen to your marriage. Start now. Small, bite-sized decisions. And finally, start being accountable. Start being accountable. And all of us need to have those that are accountability partners that are willing to ask you the hard, tough questions when you don't want to hear them. and that you can check in with regularly. All right. Self-control. How many of you agree that's a, that's a desirable fruit of the Spirit? Would you agree with that? Yeah. All right, let's quickly talk about the fruit of faith. I only have a little bit of time, but I do want to just touch on this very quickly. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse 3, says this. We'll, we'll turn to some of the scriptures in just a moment. Listen to this one. And writing to the church at Thessalonica, Paul said, We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Did you know there's three kinds of faith? This is a really quick overview. All right? First of all, there's saving faith. That's the faith that Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about. It says you're saved by faith, not by works. Right? By grace through faith. So there is saving faith. But beyond saving faith, there's also two other kinds of faith. There is the gift of faith and there is the fruit of faith. The gift of faith... Is a special supernatural impartation by the Holy Spirit that can come into someone's life, flow through them at a moment, that turns them into Superman, an Avenger, in a second. It's a gift of faith because with faith, nothing's impossible. You can do anything if you have sufficient faith. The gift of faith is a supernatural impartation at a moment where an individual, God wants to do something supernatural through them, and He releases in them this, this momentary rise and jump and leap of faith to be able to, boom, grab hold of that in prayer or in declaration, and it's there. That's the gift of faith. That's a pretty cool gift. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the fruit of faith. And the fruit of faith is something that grows. Remember we said fruit grows. It's developed. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, To each of us has been given the Measure of faith. Here's how it works. When you come to Jesus, and the Spirit of God comes to dwell on the inside of you, He brings with Him, along with all the other fruit of the Spirit, faith in seed form. The seed of faith is planted on the inside of you. But the question is once God plants that seed in you, is it growing? Is it developing? And how big is it? We must always be mindful of developing faith as fruit. And faith is listed in Galatians 5. By the way, quick digression. Many people prefer to apply this fruit as faithfulness, because they don't understand this concept that I'm getting ready to explain to you, and they want to call this faithfulness. The only problem is the word that is used here is the same word pistis that you find all through the New Testament, and all the rest of the time it's translated belief and faith. There's no reason to consider this just faithfulness. I'm not against being faithful, but this word has to do with developing the fruit of faith what does this look like? Let me see if I can help you understand it a little bit. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 19 through 20 is a story that many of us will recall. The disciples had failed to drive out some demons. And Jesus said this to them. He said, well, the reason you couldn't do it was because you have so little faith. Your faith is too little. And he said this, truly I say to you, if you have faith, and I want to I'm going to explain this just a second. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, here's the problem. Even in the translation that I put on the slide for you, it's mistranslated. Notice it says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. In the original language, it simply says, and by the way, the King James gets it right, it simply says, if you have faith as a mustard seed you'll be able to say to this mountain, be removed. In other words, if you have faith as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible to you. What is it talking about? The translator struggled with it too. It's talking not about the size of your faith. It's talking about the growth potential of your faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed, what was the parable of the mustard seed? It starts off as one of the smallest seed, but it does what? grows into this large, magnificent tree. What is the principle of the mustard seed? It's the growth potential of the seed. If you have faith as a mustard seed, in other words, if you will nurture your faith and let it grow and grow and grow and grow, ultimately, if it's fully developed, 100% faith, nothing can be impossible to you. could move a mountain you can do whatever. Listen, if I had that fully developed faith, we'd be cleaning out the hospital this morning. Right? Do you see the principle here? If you have that kind of faith, nothing will be impossible for you. It's not talking about the size at the time. It's talking about the growth potential. So what are we encouraged to do? We're encouraged to develop our faith, nurture it, let it grow. Let it grow. Remember, If you know Jesus, you're born again, whether it happened 23 years ago or 23 months ago, there is a seed, a seed of faith inside of you. The question is, what are you doing with it? As is the case with all the other fruit, Jesus gives you the starting point. But you, in cooperation with him, now must nurture the development of that particular fruit. As it relates to faith... I gave you some suggestions here for increasing it. You'll learn as you read through the New Testament, faith is something that grows. Faith to faith. We are to grow in our faith. So here's some suggestions. First of all, plant it in the right environment. I really believe, you you know, find a fellowship of believers, if you're not already locked into one, that will nurture and encourage your faith, not destroy it planted you know we all need a place to be planted a local church is a place to be planted and that is your environment but after you make sure that that seed is planted in the right environment make sure that you're removing weeds regularly there are things that can choke out the development of faith in your life worry we talked about one this morning fear right fear worry anxiety uh, all kinds of other issues that come to steal nutrients from the development of your faith Develop your ability to hear God's voice more accurately. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing the word of God. But some of us aren't hearing the word of God consistently. But let me tell you something. When you learn and regularly practice hearing the word of God, the moment you hear, it does something to your faith. You hear, faith increases. You hear, faith Faith increases. Faith comes by hearing the rhema, word of God. And lastly, use your faith. It's just like a muscle. You let it sit long enough, it'll atrophy. This is where that adage, which I don't generally like, but in this case is true. Use it or lose it. In other words, it's a seed. It starts off down here. Let's just say it's a nickel Okay, on a scale of a dollar. You'll always have that nickel. But to be honest with you, you're not going to move a lot of mountains with a nickel's worth of faith. Now, if you're satisfied with that, keep your nickel, honey. Just keep it. Just keep it. Take good care of it. Hide it. But if you really want to be used of God and you want to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God, grow it. Grow it. And every time you hear more clearly and you use your muscles, you use what you've got, it increases. And then you're up to 15 cents and 20 cents and 25 cents and 30 cents and 40 cents. Through life, our goal is to develop our faith where we can receive more of what God wants. And the kingdom of God, His will, will come to be in your life on this earth as it is. In heaven, but it takes growing faith. I'm happy whenever God will give me an impartation, a gift of faith for a moment. My faith may be at 30 cents on a scale of a dollar. When the gift of faith comes, all of a sudden it's like, zoom! All of a sudden I've got 90 cents. Wow! Superman for a moment. The problem with the gift is it's momentary. And God, I don't know if the word withdrawal is the right word, but he, he, he surges it through you, and then it's done for the moment. So then you're back to wherever your faith level is. So can you see that if we simply sit around banking on the gift of faith to deliver us out of every crisis, that's not real sustainable, is it? But if we'll grow our faith, and we'll just grow it and grow it and grow it and grow it, will receive the same commendation that the Thessalonians did when he commended them for increasing and growing their faith. These are the last two fruit of the Spirit that we're dealing with. And I think you'll agree, they're all S-O-N, sun ripened. Only he can develop and ripen the fruit. But it takes our cooperation. Amen? Would you stand with me in prayer, please, as our prayer teams come forward? Hallelujah. How many of you today have been encouraged to develop more self-control? Raise your hand. Me too. Me too. How many of you today are encouraged to grow your faith more? Raise your hand. Ah, me too. We want to pray together today. Just thank the Lord as we close. God so good. Lord, we confess our total dependence and reliance upon you. We need you. Thank you that Holy Spirit, you're working us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Thank you that you're prompting, dealing, convicting, showing up, stirring us up, encouraging us. Thank you for allowing us to live not just subpar lives, but lives filled with the Spirit. Showing forth the developed fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Because we want other people to see Christ in us. We want other people, when they taste of our lives, we want them to walk away going, Wow, that was good. Lord, use us. We pray again. Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh today. Take control. We choose to yield to you. And we expect the fruit of the Spirit to be in full development. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.